chapter 2, Jeremiah, verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, The Lord, uh, thus, excuse me, thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Uh, you know, he's making this reference to, uh, you know, not only um, the nation of Israel and when they were wandering through the wilderness of the Lord, it also has, you know, sort of a, a, a total understanding of, you know, you start with Abraham and he's a man that didn't know the Lord and lived in the wilderness and, you know, was living in desolate places. And then they as a people, you know, come into being millions at, in the captivity of Egypt, freed by Moses. Now they're in the wilderness in, you know, an unplanted land and they're beginning uh, to grow and develop their relationship with the Lord. And, and the Lord, they were in love with him. You know, when they were in that place uh, of need, you know, when, when they were, uh, you know, desperate and, and calling out to the Lord, their hearts and their minds, <coughs> excuse me, were desirous of the Lord. And, and the Lord is saying, you know, I remember the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. You know, when we started out, you were wholeheartedly you know, in love with me. You know, you you consider right what Revelation is is telling us there when when the Lord uh, is saying to the churches, you know, <clears throat> you know, I I know you know the love that you had, but I have this against you, uh, you know, that you've forsaken your first love. And we need to be real clear about what he means by that. It's not first in order at all. We're not talking about a, a numeric sequence, it's better translated, you have forgotten your most important love. And then the Lord says, uh, you know, you need to, one, re remember, and two, repent, and then three, return to what you were doing. Uh, you, I, I don't need to go back to Keene, New Hampshire, and, and you know, mill around the college students and, you know, live in a one-room apartment and, uh, you know, work stocking shelves in a grocery store in order to rekindle the, the most important love of my life. You know, it's not the first, I don't have to go back to those days. I have to remember what's most important and then rekindle that. Right now where I am, I can, I can take all of the maturity that the Lord has created in my life all these 30 plus years and I can take that first love and I can rekindle it right here. I, I can make it the most important thing in my life. You can make it the most important thing. Wherever you're at, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of mentality uh, in the world and inside Christianity. Like, um, you're gonna you, you, you've fallen so far away from the Lord. Like, when you turn around in repentance... You're going to have to go a hundred miles back. If you've traveled a thousand miles away from him, you have to travel a thousand miles back. That's not how it is. The Lord is with us all along the way. And he's just saying, hey, I'm right here, kiddo. 
You want to stop doing the stupidity and turn around? You can embrace me and we can rekindle what we had at the first. What, what a beautiful picture, right? You know, some of us have been through the program. I am well, I'm drug addict and alcoholic. And every, I will. And, you know, and you've been here 30 years or so and they give you your coin and everybody applauds and then you fall off the wagon and you got to go back and be like, yeah, I've been sober for 24 hours. They're like, oh, well, here's your white chip. You're back to square one. You got to start over. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not, we're, you know, it isn't even so much, you guys, that, that we, we've been diminished. God knows who we are. He took us as we were, right? How many times have we said or we've heard people say, you know, oh, you're right. I need to get right. I need to come back. But I got to get my act cleaned up. I will be back. I'm going to. You know, stop. You know, I gotta break up with my girlfriend. I gotta, you know, I gotta quit smoking pot. I gotta stop drinking. I gotta, I gotta, you know, stop stealing. I gotta stop punching people in the. Wherever you're at, come to the Lord. Turn around right now and just come to the Lord as you are. Right? We sing the song just as you are. We read in the scripture that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it was his love that brought us to repentance. It's our enemy that has tempted us into the sin. And now that we're, you know, so deep in the filth, we've only got like one nostril sucking air. And, uh, you know, then as we think, I got to get out of this mess, the devil says, there's no getting out. You're so far gone. Look how far you're going to have to go back. You know, the Lord is saying right here, remember how it was the love of your betrothal when you. Well, you know, went after me in the wilderness and a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. That's a capital H. They're speaking of the Lord's. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. So anyone that would devour Israel, uh, betrothal and yet, you know, his children, his nation. Yeah, mess with his children, you're going to have to contend with the Lord. Now, I've had a few occasions where my wife was messed with, my kids were messed I lose my mind. Just all semblance of sanity goes away. I'm no longer friendly. I don't deal well with people that are hard and harsh and rude to my kids. I was at Bush Gardens, not me. I witnessed someone else go through the same thing. I, uh, I was at Bush Gardens, and there were these two 19, 20-year-old younger guys, probably jacked right up on something, running around. They'd been causing problems. I'd see them two or three times already. I'm now standing in line, and there's this guy in front of me who he's a bad looking dude he, he looks like he could hurt you real quick and uh his wife is this cute little thing standing next to him and they got two little daughters with them and uh they're uh standing you know you know how bush garden lines are if you've been there it's you know you know 45 minutes from here 20 minutes from here you're just gonna zigzag back and forth and these guys come bounding and jumping and just cut right in line uh, like 
three people ahead of them. And everybody kind of, you know, gets upset, but everybody's kind of intimidated and embarrassed, so they don't really raise any stink at all, but one of the guys standing behind them is giving them the hairy eyeball, and they turn around and threatened the person standing behind them. And that dude standing in front of me reached forward and grabbed his wife and his kids and put them behind him and reached straight over and grabbed one of those guys to pull over. And now it's really explosive. And he starts talking about my kids and my wife. We've been standing in line, and they now threaten him. And he reached right over and grabbed the far one and hauled both of them right to him and said, I've been in Afghanistan for two years killing people, and if you think I'm going to mess around with you, you got another whole story. And they bolt off through, and security shows up, and they go, mess with his kids, threaten me, threaten my family. That guy just came unwound. The Lord here, it's, it's important to understand how much, even in the midst of all of this mess that's going on, the Lord very much is saying, you know, you're mine. I'm going to bring disaster. Hear the words of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death through a land that no one crossed and there no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. An absolute betrayal of the Lord. What, why in the world have you departed from me? You know, you were slaves in bondage. I freed you from that. And yes, you entered a desolate state of existence in the wilderness but that was me bringing you to the land of plenty, bringing you to a great provision for your soul and for your person. Right? We have the promise of the Lord that he will care for us, that he will provide for us our basic needs. He will see us through even you know, when we are being persecuted and harmed and tortured. So why in the world have you rejected me? The Lord is saying. You know, at no point did I do anything that was offensive. At no point did I go back on my word. I didn't fail at any point of what I had promised to give you. And yet, you've turned you know, to these useless things. You know, to, to the point that you know, he, he starts with that, no one's saying, where is the Lord? The indication that there's a separation between them and the Lord, that, that they've parted company. He's saying, how is it that you aren't saying, where did the Lord go? You know, where, where is our provider? Where is our protector? 
where is the goodness? Uh, I, I think that's a, a really gracious thing that the Lord does, is that you know, if, if we are going to backslide away from him, he allows the difficulty to come right in. Uh, it would be an unfortunate thing if we were allowed to go out and live in our sin and effectively reject the Lord and the provision, the protection of the Lord, and things continued to be okay. And that, that would be awful. Uh, this is uh, you know, what the scripture puts forward as an image of sin, the, the, the uh, you know, way that he makes leprosy synonymous with sin. Uh, you know, leprosy kills the nerve endings in the body. That's how it initially you know, starts as far as the real problematic symptoms go so that you don't feel the injury and the death and the problems that begin to occur. You know, reach over to grab the skillet off the fire, you know, forget, you know, everybody does that every now and then, grab the hot pan. Your hand tells you you're injuring yourself. Immediately there's a sharp pain and you yank your hand away. You know, the, the leper you know, could reach down and pick that thing up and move it right over and set it down and still not notice. Go right on and function and not notice the damage to their head. Infection sets in and now their fingers and their hands are rotting off. It isn't that leprosy caused their fingers, their hands, their nose and ears to, to raw off. It's, it's that they lost the feeling that was necessary to protect them. You know, the Lord allows us to experience the pain. And this is, you know, what the scripture is saying over and over again about the, the way the Lord will give us over to a debased mind. You want to go that direction? You know, you're going to kill the sensitivity of your heart. Yeah, that tremendous conscience at first where you even begin to consider departing or, you know, from the Lord or, you know, falling into sin. It's a struggle. It's painful. It hurts. You don't know if you can do it. And then as you begin to, at first, the fear of it, you, you can push past it and harm yourself very badly. I, a number of years ago, <clears throat> was working with Aaron Dudley at uh, Don's Wholesale Produce. We were delivering produce all over the greater Bangor, well, as far north as Presque Isle. And uh, fellow uh, Christian... Uh, working with us, came there, and you know we're all gung ho about the Lord, working in ministry and helping one another. And you know, Aaron and I, especially, have you know nearly identical mindset about ministry and work and all we're doing. And uh, this brother comes to us and you know, asks, you know, guys, I hope, hope you pray for me. I just really have this intense desire to you know smoke cigarettes, and uh, so we pray for him. We both, you know, the Lord had delivered us from that. We get it. And so we pray for him in earnest. The Lord would help him. You know, a few days later, he, he's back. Guys, I just, I really, I just crave him so bad. And I just ask you to pray for me. And, you know, well, can we pray for me. And then, you know, a few days later, he confesses, guys, I'm, I'm a smoking cigarettes. And I just, you know, I just really feel like total failure. And, you know, just, this goes on until we're, you know, now we're just confronting him about, man, you got to stop. Like, you just can't go on. And I show up for work, you know, weeks 
later, as we've been praying with his brother off and on about this struggle that he's having, and Aaron comes up to me and says, you know, brother so-and-so uh, no longer has any struggle with cigarettes. Man, the battle is over, he says. And I'm like, praise God. And Aaron's like, well, I don't know. And he points across the loading dock, and our brother is just leaned up against the wall over there just smoking. Battle's over. He's given in. You know, the feeling, I mean, it's a small illustration. You know, that old statement preachers say, you know, smoking cigarettes isn't going to send you to hell. Just make you smell like you've been there. But, you know, it's the sort of thing that, you know, it's an illustration of incrementally the conscience is giving way until we're comfortable. Why haven't you been saying, where is the Lord? Okay, you can't say it. Why haven't the priests been saying it? The reason the priests haven't been saying it is because they're the ones that have led this nation into the place where now the prophets are prophesying by Baal. They're inquiring of Baal, and then they're speaking on behalf of Baal. The prophets of God are speaking on behalf of Baal. That's really messed up. You think, well, the ancient world, how strange is that? How strange is it that, you know, a local minister here in our area just a few years ago would have a Buddhist monk in his pulpit preaching and sharing with his congregation? That's like, take the cross down, you know, saw the steeple off. I mean, change your sign, man. You, you are not a Christian church. If, if you know, the prophets of Buddha, if the prophets of Baal are speaking on behalf of the Lord to your congregation, it's over. You know, somebody in that congregation should be sitting there going, where's the Lord in this? <laughs> you know, Grossly vacant. There's just profoundly missing. Something's desperately wrong in these situations. I talked with a sister some years ago who'd gone to a local church, uh, you know, for three plus years. And uh, after she'd been here for two weeks, taking notes, frantically filling a notebook, she brought me her notes from three plus years at the other congregation. And she had a little over two pages, two, two scripture references. That's all she received. And almost all of the sermons were taken from current events in popular magazines. No joke. Pastor shows up and he's like, yeah, well, this morning I just want to talk about this article. Uh, that was published, and you know, he'd try to put some Christian slant on it, but, you know, it's just kind of a Christian seasoning to a worldly, uh, you know, experience, a, a worldly publication. Where's the Lord? Why, why isn't anyone asking that? You know, if you've grown up without the Lord, then you don't know what to ask, where's the Lord, Right? If, if this nation has generation after generation after generation 
been growing up attending these houses of worship, and at no point has anybody been drawing them back to the Word, drawing them back, then why would they even know to ask for the Lord? Uh, it's horrible condemnation that the people of a congregation and the leaders of a congregation don't even notice when the Lord is missing from their midst. That's, that's terrible. Can't even distinguish the difference between uh, you know, ungodly uh, advice, you know, the prophets of Baal, and godly advice you know, coming from the mouth of Jeremiah. Don't, don't even notice that. Therefore, verse 9, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods? which are not gods. But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, and be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. Now, in this Middle Eastern region, there's very little rainfall. And uh, if you're going to dig a well, uh, you're going to have to go very deep to get water. Very often, what they would do is find or carve a cave into rock that they could channel water into. So when the rain would come, they would capture it in all these locations and funnel it into this one location where it would fill this big, deep cistern. So now you get a very deep reservoir to fill. It might not even be all that you know, wide. It's just hole in the ground, hole in the rock, and it fills up with water. He's saying, you know, we've heard this before from Isaiah. He's saying, you know, you have rejected me, you know, the, the living water. You, you have forsaken me, the one who is profitable. You, you've, you've changed gods from the true and living God over to things that don't even exist. You're doing make pretend. That, that, that your God is something, carving it out, molding it, you know, fashioning it, making it your own. You exchanged what can quench your thirst for store everything you've got into a cistern that's broken and all the water just drains out of. So everything you've stored for yourself, there's nothing there. You know, what are they storing for themselves, right? They're doing things... Uh, to the prophets, and by the time Jesus shows up, where Jesus and John the Baptist have to say, don't say to yourself, we're sons of Abraham. If the Lord wants to, he can create children of Abraham out of these stones. You know, they've stored up for themselves, oh, we've descended from Abraham. God is saying, that's empty. 
That doesn't mean anything. You don't have any relationship with me. Right? Moses is saying that in his um, you know, delivery of <clears throat> the law. And then Paul is saying it in Romans chapter 9 and referring to what Moses is saying about there's a spiritual child of Abraham. Right? You, you come down to the firstborn, the heir, was actually Hagar's son, Eshmael. That's not the spiritual son, right? The Lord confronts Abraham and Sarah indirectly and says, no, no, no. by Sarah's child, your only child. There's only one spiritual child in this picture. Ishmael is not it. You know, saying, I was born into a Christian family. I attended Calvary Chapel. That doesn't mean anything. That means nothing whatsoever. You know, I've literally talked to people who are like, oh, I know I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? I grew up going to Charles Stanley's church. Well, that's shallow. Uh, you know, what do you know of the scripture? How are you committed to the Lord? What evidence in your life is there that you love God? Yeah, that whole conversation began with the fact that that person is, you know, breaking the law and a continuous drunkard and, you know, always using drugs. But they're insistent. I know I'm a Christian. Well, I grew up in Charles Stanley's church. Charles Stanley would be brokenhearted to hear that. <laughs> Give me a break. You know, you, you can't, you've carved out for yourself. You've rejected the living God and you've carved out for yourself you know, something you think you're going to be able to dip into whenever you want to. Go ahead, lower your ladle. There's nothing there. You know, drag, drag your spoon through open air. Dip your bucket into the sand, pal. There's nothing there for you. That, that needs to shake our heart. Literally. You know, we, we are called to live this Christian life out with fear and trembling. You know, people don't like that. The fear of the Lord, you know, hellfire and brimstone is gone from the church. No one's concerned about their relationship with a few, right? Few are concerned. Uh, I, I'm not saying that like I'm, I'm in a place of superiority. I'm saying that I function in a place of fear. Respectful, loving fear. Why? Because there's one source of my salvation. And I need to stay right in that source. I need to be permanently attached to Jesus Christ. I need to derive my life from Him. That's what needs to sustain me. That's what needs to keep me. This is what Jesus is saying when He says, right, John 15, abide in me. You know, I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You don't abide in me. You're going to be pruned off, thrown into the fire. I want to be thrown in the fire. I don't want anybody to be thrown in the fire. You know, let us have a correct sense of what's going on. The two evils. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn yourselves broken cisterns that can hold no waters. Living waters. That's like the spring. Right? It's coming right up out of the source. You don't have to drill a well. You don't have to dig a channel. You don't have to carve a cistern. It's just a ready source all the time. If you've you know, had an occasion 
when um, Lori and I uh, lived in Keene, New Hampshire, that's a bowl valley, right? Mountainous uh, terrain all the way around. <clears throat> and as such, the runoff and the water table is very near the surface, but it's very contaminated. You know, so, you know, the wells, the water, the city water systems, that you cannot drink them. It, you know, they're treating them so hard with chemicals in order to even make it possible for you to take a shower and bathe in it that you cannot, you know, drink the water. Uh, it, we went through, uh, in industrial kitchens, uh, we went through several occasions, even with all of that treatment, where we had to boil the water for the maximum amount of time before we could use it in the kitchen. That town has two huge public springs. You know, one south of town, one north of town. And everybody goes out there and fills up their jugs. There's nothing like just ice cold spring water flowing all the time. That's a wonderful thing when you have a source like that. Very, very refreshing. The Lord's saying, that's me. I'm the fountain of living water. Continuous, non-stop. You want water, you want refreshment, you want fulfillment, come to me. But what we've done, what the nation of Israel has done, is forsaken him, and we found our own methods of getting what we you know, think is just fine. We'll drink this muddy old filth. We'll, we'll drink this completely polluted, you know, stagnant thing that we've created for ourselves. Two offenses, forsaking him and providing our, for ourselves otherwise. Fourteen, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also, the people of Noth and Tapanese have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when, you, when he led you in the way? And now why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river, the Euphrates? Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backsliding will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and a bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. You know, we live in a culture that, you know, says, like, as parents, if you're raising your children and your children are afraid of you, that's wrong. <laughs> that's a load of malarkey, right? Your, parent, your children shouldn't be afraid of you in the idea of abuse. Your children shouldn't be afraid of you you know, in the idea of they hide from you. Nothing like that. But I'll tell you what, they should be able to tell by the tone of your voice whether the discipline is on its way or not. Just by speaking. You know, I have seen 
now all these years, 50 years, I have seen that the children who are raised, I'm not talking, we've all been around children that are under the thumb of some tyrannical father so badly that they are all, you know, marching around like soldiers and scared to death. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the reverential respect and fear that a child knows. If I go too far, I am going to be corrected. So much. I, I could not. I was in a store yesterday and I, I watched this child who wanted a toy. And he's like 10 or 11 years old. So he's not a, a baby. He's not a little child. He's, he's old enough to know better. And this argument escalates until it's a full-on verbal brawl between mom and this kid. And I wanted to just step forward. I did not, but I wanted to just step forward and say to the mother, you understand that you're not siblings, right? You're the parent. You're the adult. Like, correct this child and get this situation under control. You know, you may have to be over the top at first. What you'll find is that when the child knows they can lose their mind, then way before that happens, you can have a really good relationship and function along and keep them in line. Knowing where the borders are, knowing where the limits are, knowing where the fences are, is a very good thing. A very good thing. Hey, we had goats when I was younger. And I don't know what it is about goats, but they can tell when the electric fence is off. I'm told they can hear it. I don't know how that works. You know, extension cord gets unplugged, the, uh, you know, breaker pops, you, you know, any number of things, and uh, you turn around and there's no goats in the pasture. They've jumped the fence, they've crawled under the fence, they're gone. Now, <clears throat> that goat will get real close to that fence because the grass grows, you know, from the other side. And they'll get right up next to that wire. But when that, that thing is on, they will not touch that wire. They know. Hear it, whatever. They know where the barrier is. And they are afraid of the electrical pulse that's going through the fence. They're afraid of it. Keeps them where they belong. You know what the biggest danger to our goats was in our community? Dogs. Dogs. Do you know, goat run short distance and drop. That's what they, like a deer. They try to sprint away and hide. Dog is built for marathon. <laughs> Just run the goat to death. Run the deer to death. Just go and go and go and go. The designed limits that God has put in place. What is he saying here? Your sin is going to correct you. You're going to regret this so bad. I, I have sat and wept with so many people over what goes on in their families and their children and their lives. 
when it's all finally come home to roost. You know, they ran and ran and ran and they're backsliding for years. You know, starting a relationship with the Lord, never thinking they were going to have to pay the cost. And then here it comes. And oh, they try to put the brakes on at the end, right? The pleading, the desperation, the to no avail. It's a terrible thing to sit and watch a fully grown man or woman just sob convulsively over their losses. You so wish you could spare them the pain of what's going on. You can't. You cannot. You cannot reverse, right? You'd have to go back 5, 10, 15, 20 years and start there. The outcome. You have to look at these things. It's so unfortunate. You've, you've gone now. You've, you've, you're going to be, you know, wasted. Your cities are burned. You know, the wilderness is going to correct your backslidings. Going to rebuke you. Go into these foreign countries. No, oh, it's bad because we're here. It's e it's Israel. That's what we need to get out of Israel. Let's go to Egypt. Let's go to Assyria. Guess what? Right? We all we always say this. We all know this. Twenty twenties. You know, per, hindsight's 2020, perfect vision. Uh, you know, wherever you go, there you are. You're the problem. Common denominator is you. So you got to change you. You have to change you. Say, well, I want God to change me. He already has. He's given you a spirit. Now you're going to rely upon it. You, you can't turn away from it. You can't. You can't even, you know, brush it off that one time. You got to have a very sensitive conscience. Okay? You got to more and more all the time. No, I no, I cannot do that. No, I, I can't. I can't even think like that. I can't talk like that. I can't listen to that. I can't look at that. You have to control yourself, right? You hear all this stuff about the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Fill the Holy Spirit. You know, spoken tongues, rolling around on the floor, jumping over the seats. You know, just, wow, we were filled with the Spirit. Walked out the door and went right back to our sin. Oh, read again the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? One of the primary things listed in the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Self-control. And listen, listen, that's not god control. That's not others control you. That's God giving you his spirit, which has the strength to give you and me self-control. These people have not followed that, listened to that at all. And now they're paying the consequence. Everything is near and dear. Their cities, their country, burned, destroyed, desolate, ruined. And it's going to get worse as the years go by. You know, the northern kingdom's already been attacked. They've been carried away in, you know, partial captivity. And now southern kingdom's getting attacked and rulers are being hauled off, right? Daniel's going in that first wave of captivity. Descendants of the royal family. And then, you know, basically three phases until they're finally conquered. 586. Overrun, ruined, destroyed. No more. Got to be a people. You know, that fear him that you have forsaken the lord your god and the fear of me is not in you says the lord god of hosts for of old i have broken your yoke and burst your bonds right snap the handcuffs right off you 
God set us free. I was talking to Travis Carey. Uh, well, he, he was actually talking with a group of us at Calvary Chapel uh, yesterday. We were talking about the best Christmas. We talked about the worst and the best Christmas, you know, that we've had. You know, any of us that struggled with addiction, you know, we all said, oh, man, you know, our, our addiction, the period of time we were addicts, those were the worst Christmas. Taking advantage of, manipulating everybody, self-centered, you know, greater amount of use and drugs and alcohol during those periods. Those were the worst during those periods of time. Talking to Travis, and he confesses, the very best Christmas I ever had was the year I was incarcerated in Washington County on Christmas. Because as Travis said, that's the year I surrendered my life to Christ. I was more free in jail than I had ever been outside the walls. Because I was in bondage and imprisoned within my own flesh. Christ's deliverance. You know, I've broken your yoke, burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress when on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. Yet I have planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine, something foreign. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, um, you know, they used to develop soap that contained very you know, microscopic amounts of lye in it. And man, that stuff will bleach things whiter than you know, anything else will. You, know, you, you put a little too much in it, it'll disintegrate your clothing. You know, lye is a very serious chemical burn a giant hole in, you know, practically concrete with lye. It's it's really, really harsh. Uh, you, know, you can't, you, lye isn't going to make you any cleaner. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. You're not going to be able to get rid of the stains of your backsliding and your rejection of me. That's, that's not going to, you know, purify you. Right? We know what does it, right? You know, at this time, it was the blood of the lambs that they brought in sacrifice, returned to proper worship. But for us, it's the blood of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Do we know that? Do we know that? You know, when John says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Are you thinking, right, he's going to cleanse me from the sins I've committed. Let's go a step further. Those sins that so easily beset us, he will take them away from us. You're a drug addict, he'll take that away. You got a short temper, he'll take that away. You a lazy person, a lazy parent, he'll take that away. Well, what is it that besets us? What is it that stumbles us? What is it that is our weakness? He'll take that away. He'll take away the sins of the world. As long as we're in the flesh, we're going to have to contend with sin. We all know that. But, right, it needs to be different. I know many the person that, you know, throws that out. Like, oh, well, you know, we're all sinners, man. And what they're saying, you find out eventually, is I'm the same as I ever was. I haven't departed from anything. Doing the same old stuff I've always done. But I'm claiming Christianity. I'm claiming to be a child of God. No, no, Jesus came to deliver you. That, that's not me pointing the finger. That's me encouraging you, beckoning to you. You know, come forward. Come up out of that. Leave that behind. Rise up in Christ, right? 
You were buried with Christ, weren't you? You, you were dunked in the water, laid down in that watery grave, and lifted up anew as he was out of the grave. This is what Paul is saying. What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us that are in Christ Jesus should walk in a newness of life? Christ has provided us with that newness of life. Don't take it as a scolding. Take it as an encouragement. Take Christ's life that has been imparted to you and with self-control rise up into the victory that he's providing for us. There's a wonderful deliverance. Cannot wash it away on your own. Can't scrub yourself clean. How can you say, I'm not polluted. I've not gone after the Baals. I haven't gone after any foreign gods. I didn't have any shrines set up in my house. I wasn't some idolater. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways. A wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire. That's like animalistic lust is what he's saying. In her time of mating. Who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her mouth they will, or excuse me, in her month they will find her. Well, withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, there is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens, uh, foreigners, and after them I will go. It isn't a statement there in 25 about I have loved aliens, about uh, just the idea of foreigners from a foreign country. Country, It's the idea of you, you've followed after foreigners desiring their form of worship. You've wanted their gods. You've looked at the way you know, the ungodly conduct themselves, and you thought, ooh, that's exotic. Oh, I'd like that. I'd like to go after that. That, that looks, oh, that looks so colorful and fulfilling. You know, there's something in the flesh that says, oh, yeah, I'm a very worshipful, I'm a very spiritual person. And so that's why I lean towards these other things that are wrong and ungodly and unbiblical and, you know, heretical. We need to have our hearts pure in our following after the Lord. Now, in verse 26, it says, as the thief is ashamed when he's found out. So is the house of, the, of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets saying to a tree, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back on me. Now let me just pause for a minute. Okay. There's a great debate inside the church about creation versus evolution. And there have been many occasions where I'm talking to Christians and they get really upset about the fact that I'm a staunch six-day creationist. And, and you know, they act like, what's the big deal? You know, I mean, God could use evolution. And, yeah, if it was real, if it existed... I suppose he could, but there isn't any, and he didn't. 
The scripture clearly tells us he created all things in six days. Six literal days. If you struggle with that, you can come talk to me. I got all the information I could possibly pour out on you. Six literal days. The scripture itself says, and morning and evening were the first day, and morning and evening were the second day. 24-hour light cycles. Six literal days. God creates all things. Evolution says, hey, hey, follow this. Evolution says you came from a stone. You came from a plant. Eventually into an animal that became an ape that became you. Right? From, from goo to the zoo to you is evolution. You know, saying to the rock, you're my father. Saying to the tree, you made me. That's how I came into existence, through evolution. Wrong answer. False. You say, well, it's no big deal. Yeah, like these guys are saying, it's no big deal. We're still worshiping God. No, you're not. Not the God of the Scripture. Not the God of the Bible. That's like the Mormons saying, we worship Jesus too. No, you don't. Not the God of the Bible, not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus you worship is the half-brother of Lucifer. Not God, as the scripture, scripture declares him to be. you got a different Jesus going on. You, you have fashioned, in your imagination, in your thought process, a different Jesus. Don't like this Jesus. I'll carve me up another one. I'll take the Jesus right out of the Bible. Harvest him, and I'll just shape him into the way I like to think about Jesus. That, you know, that's false teaching. That's false prophet. That's what these prophets of Israel are doing. Again, there's one guy in all of, you know, Jerusalem and Israel in the south, Judah, who's declaring the truth of God's word, and it's Jeremiah. Everybody else is wrong at this point. This man represents the Lord alone. You know, saying the tree, you're my father, a stone you gave birth to me. They've turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. Right? Isn't that the way it goes? <laughs> Reject God. Walk away from God. Backslide. Have nothing to do with him. Trouble comes. Oh, God, save me. You know, blue lights come on behind you. Oh, God, save me. You know, wife shows up. Oh, God, save me. You know. The accountability is now staring at you. Oh, Lord, oh, be gracious. Show your kindness. Spare me from these circumstances. Arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Everywhere you go, get a different god. You know, don't like this God? Go over to that city. They got a different God. You know, you don't, you don't like you don't like this church? You go over there. There's another flavor for you. you. Don't like that one? Go over there. Don't like that one? Go over there. Don't like that one? Go over there. Just keep traveling until you find the place where somebody's, you know, tickling your itching ear. You know, that that is you guys, that isn't like, oh, that's kind of funny. No, this is like a dog does. Right? He comes up and you start petting his head. As soon as he touches you, he just leans right in. Like, yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, he just, you know, they moan sometimes. You know, stupid canines. Oh, 
you know, when you're rubbing their ear. That's that's what's that's what's being said. Say the things I like to hear. Don't don't say and, and aren't those the most popular preachers, right? You know, largest church in the world now. The, the pastor there is saying, you, you know, there's probably no hell. You know, there's no eternal judgment. We don't we don't have to worry about a lot of this stuff everybody's been talking about. I mean, if you're not really into Jesus to shed blood on the cross, that doesn't really matter. All the essentials aren't really essential. Just just appeal to the Oh, boy, we got the best worship team literally in the world. <laughs> you wouldn't even believe it. You know, Kanye West is now showing up, hanging out with us. Kanye West. Who cares? You know, you know what the best thing, you know, the best testimony Kanye would be? Just go away. Just stop. Just shrink into obscurity, would you? You know, you, you can't recognize that fame is your idol. You, you've just gone from worldly fame to Jesus fame. You're still looking for the crowds, the accolades. Just, just shut your mouth and learn. I mean that lovingly. Just, just learn. You know, we, what does Paul warn us, right? Don't, don't make a leader of a new convert. Do not do that. Why? Lest they fall into the same temptation and the same snare as the devil. What was the snare of the devil? Pride. Pride. It's just a whole new crowd, right? The other crowd's sick of him. Move into this crowd. Everybody's like, applause. Bring forth the fruit of repentance and show us the humility. You don't have to be accountable to me. We just all know what it's like to be broken in Jesus Christ, do we not? And and that's if Kanye be our brother, that's what we desire for him. My fear is it's going to be a short-lived flame, right? Anybody? Does anybody remember when uh, Bob Dylan came to the Lord? Right? No? Guy released a gospel album. <laughs> I mean, long enough to get in the studio and pump out, what was it, 12 songs? And then abandoned it, rejected it, speaks against it. So many along the way, right? You got to like a guy like Johnny Cash, who really surrenders his life to Christ, you know, gives up the pills goes to his preacher, and just shrinks right down real small. And then when he starts coming back up, everybody's going, huh, you know, Johnny's just singing about Jesus. <laughs> straight out, gospel message, and preaching Christ. And wow, that's wild. You know, this, this whole thing that people get involved in. Everywhere you go, there's a different God, a different thing. There's one God, one doctrine. Right? One baptism. It's very, very straightforward for us who follow the Lord. It's not different everywhere we go. Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me. Plead with you. Know, Save us. Why are you going to plead with me? You've all transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. You have received no correction. Notice that. You've received 
no correction. I disciplined you and you didn't receive it. Proverbs and Psalms both tell us that it's the wise son. Listen to this. It's the wise son or daughter that enjoys correction. Enjoys it. Actually wants uh, people and circumstances and opportunities in their life to say, not like this, more like that. The guidance, the steering, you know, the refining, the sharpening that we need. A wise child of God will embrace that and say, yeah, I want that. Oh, <laughs> I heard a pastor years ago say, you know, the people in the congregation that are always saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You, you deliver the sermon and they'll come up afterwards and be like, you say this and that, but, you know, have you ever considered, and this wise old preacher said to me, real careful, it's the goats that but. You know, yeah, but. I know, but. You say, but. <laughs> Those aren't sheep. Sheep listen to the word of God. Sheep are guided by the Word of God. Sheep want to be corrected. It's the rebel. Now, listen. Goats, shepherds use them. They use them. They're good for a couple things. One, they watch out for predators. Sheep don't. Sheep just put their head in the grass and eat. Goats, Look for the highest place in a pasture to stand. Have you seen any of the pictures on the internet of goats standing on top of sheep or other goats? If there's no rock, no rise, no slope or hill, they'll get up on top of another sheep if they can. They want to see. They want to watch. And they will make a noise. The other thing that goats are very, very good at is killing snakes. They're real good at killing snakes. They will find, they hear, they literally hear them in the grass, they can smell them, and they'll get within striking distance, and they'll spring up in the air, like six feet in the air, and come down and just stop incessantly until there's nothing but a pile of mush there. Tell me you haven't seen this in the church. Certain people that are always, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, no, but, I, but, 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 everything, butting everything. But they're also quick to point out, hey, that's wrong over there. And then they'll attack people, right? Where they're wrong, the snakes amongst us. But they're not good for the flock, they're eating up the pasture. Budding the shepherd, budding the other goats. Yeah. Their work that they do makes them feel self-important. And they can sometimes convince other people that they're important. But you know what? We're, we're a, a flock of sheep that are led by our master's voice. We're not led by goats. We're not led 
by goats. If there's goats in the midst, that's not who we want to be. And that's not who we want to follow, right? Because what does Jesus do in the end, right? He separates the sheep and the goats. And he sends the goats to hell and he welcomes the sheep into his presence with the statement, well done, good and faithful servant. This unfortunate way that so many people are led astray. Why you plead uh, with me? You've transgressed, says the Lord. Vain, I've chastened your children. They receive no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying light. Your sword. Your attack. You know, the rebellious goat's attack has destroyed the Lord's servant. It's, it's a terrible thing that people don't receive correction, don't receive the word of God, will not listen, will not learn, will not grow. That, that is not useful to them more than anything. It's damaging to the body, to the flock, and, and it's really damaging to the person who refuses the correction. Oh, generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Was I desolate? Was I a place of fear and loathing? No. No, I wasn't a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness. Why do my people say, we are lords? We will come no more to you. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me, uh, forgotten me days without number. Oh. When usually, I mean, it's a rare thing that a bride does not remember so many details about her wedding day, particularly what she was wearing. You know, how she was adorned. Usually a bride will remember everything of her wedding party. You know, all those members that were there. And the bridesmaid were dressed like this. And I'll remember the shoes. And I, I remember all these details of the wedding day. And the Lord says, that's me and you. <laughs> you know, we were, we were bride and groom. How in the world did you forget that? How is it you've come to the place like, you know, your wedding dress must have been beautiful. Don't remember. Uh, I was wearing something. I think it was clean. Yeah, you were in a flowing white robe. You had, you know, a tiara. You were wearing all this beautiful stuff. And you don't, you don't remember that? Uh, not particularly. You were in bondage and the Lord led you out and parted the Red Sea and gave you water and rained food down from heaven upon you and struck your enemies and parted the Jordan River and brought you across and conquered Jericho and all of your enemies. And here you sit in the land and, yeah, I guess so. No, it's not like that. Go talk to Israelis right now. Talk to the Hebrew people and ask them if they believe the word of God. By and large, not at all. You believe the Bible? That's, I mean, some cool stories. Do you believe it's true? No. You're sitting in the land of Israel, pal. The fact that you're here and you exist 
is miraculous. You know, it's ministering to me. The fact that you're there. No, I don't know. No, I don't. I don't really buy into all that Bible stuff. Oh man, pray to God that not be us that we've lost, you know, track of the Lord countless times, you know, days without number. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore, you have also taught the wicked women your ways. Why, why do you why do you doll yourself up so that you'll attract people? You know, as a believer, you're inviting people into the faith, but not living it out yourself. Why do you do that? You, you are teaching the people who come into the faith wickedness. You're teaching wicked people wicked things. You're supposed to be delivering wicked people from wicked things. Why in the world would you do that? That's so contrary. Also, on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. Oh, think, think about the aborted children in this nation. You guys know that the abortion rate inside Christianity is slightly higher than it is in the unbelieving world? Because every other area of sin is equal to the world. Drunkenness and drug use and theft and child molestation in the church is the same. Adultery and as a result the unwanted pregnancies that result from the church's unbridled lust, the embarrassment as a Christian that now a person is pregnant outside wedlock or they're married to that person over there, but now they're pregnant by that person over there, causes it to be that there's slightly more abortions within the church than there is in the world at large. Gotta get rid of that child. What a shame. And so many other areas of the blood of the innocent amongst us. You know, those that haven't been cared for and tended by the church. We're too concerned with ourselves to go see our, you know, poverty-stricken neighbor who just, you know, seems like they're completely embittered at the world and dangerous, but really what it is is they just don't have anybody that's loving them. Right? Isn't this what the Lord says in the separation of the sheep and the goats? You know, when I was in need, you didn't come visit me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was imprisoned, you didn't come and visit me. You're, you're not innocent of the blood of the innocent. I have not found it by secret search. I didn't have to pry around, but plainly on all these things. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Innocent. Oh, the church is saying this. I'm innocent. Yeah, yeah, I'm living in gross sin, but I prayed a prayer way back there in Sunday school, and I was cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm now innocent. Really? 
So you claim the blood of Jesus Christ upon yourself, but you have no evidence of Christ in your life. This is part of what the Lord said in the Ten Commandments when he said, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Do not take my name upon yourself in an empty way. Yeah, it includes swearing, but it's much more the idea of that's my name you're attaching to yourself. You're going to put my name upon you, right? Call yourself a Christian, Christ I am, small representation of Christ. You call yourself a Christian, you've affixed his name to your person, and you live contrary to it. You've taken, his, you've taken his name in vain. I'm innocent. I've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Not if we're currently rejecting him and living in sin. You need his cleansing again and you need to depart from that sin. You need to be thoroughly purged from it. Because I'm innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say, I have not sinned. Like he says in John, let no one say that he's without sin. That is to say, as you sin, don't say, oh, this isn't a sin. If it's a sin, it's a sin. Don't do that. Don't say, I have not sinned. Why do you gad like wander and carouse about so much to change your way. Also, you shall be ashamed of Egypt, the other things you relied upon rather than the Lord, as you were ashamed of Assyria. You know, reached out to them for help. And it burned you in the end, reached out to the psychologist of, oh, I'm messed up, please help me. And he gives you his worldly wisdom and his worldly pills, and you're going to regret that someday. You're going to regret turning to other things other than Christ for the solution. Let your heart turn to him. You know where the answer is. Let us all turn to him. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head. This was a sign of mourning. The, the, the Jews just, oh, 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 you know, the, the blustered, you know, ashamed, overwhelmed in the moment. You're going to go forth with your hands on your head. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies and you have not uh, you have not prospered by them. You know, all these things that you've turned to for hope and help, garbage. You're going to, you're going to be ashamed of them in the end. Turn your heart to Christ, you guys. Every day. Start your morning with Him. You know, I'll, I'll openly confess. There's... There's an angry, selfish, bitter man in my heart that wakes up a millisecond before the child of God in my heart. And if, you know, I don't like to wake up. You know, some people say I'm not a morning person, right? <laughs> I am not a morning person. The child of God wakes up, you know, with that fleshly man, and I am brokenhearted, and it forces me to prayer. Right there, as my eyes are beginning to open, oh God, let me not be myself today. Draw me into your word. Get me out of this bed and bring me into your presence. I, can, I cannot go 
with that one that woke up just ahead of me running the show today. Can't do it. I have to walk with you. I can't go through the day being myself. I pray to God, you guys, we would hear the Lord's correction in this passage tonight. And we would embrace what he's saying to us personally about being in fellowship with him and walking with him, rejecting all other things, you know, being impassioned about chasing after him and knowing him. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and we'll pray. And like I said, if that's a fiery message, Jeremiah just continues to escalate as the years go by. And he, he prophesies for decades over the nation of Israel. So, Lord, bless us, keep us. Uh, draw us to yourself, Lord. Kindle that fire or attract us. And make us desire you, Lord. Give us the strength that we would need to control ourselves. Lord, that, that, that we would take whatever portion we're responsible for and take action on it. But we wouldn't rest on our laurels waiting for the day where you finally changed us. That instead, we would be men and women of action who purposed to follow after you every day wholeheartedly desiring to be your children and your servants. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.